My name is Mark McGuinness, and this is the 21st Century Creative, the podcast that helps you thrive as a creative professional amid the demands, the distractions, and the opportunities of the 21st century. Welcome to episode five. This week, my guest is Joanna Penn, a best-selling, award-nominated thriller writer, as well as an authority on book publishing and marketing. And she's here to talk about mindset for creatives. Jo and I have been friends for a number of years, and we're very much aligned in terms of the attitude it takes to succeed as a creative. So I'm really pleased she's agreed to talk about this. And this means this interview is not just for writers. What Joe calls the successful creative mindset is crucial to your success, whatever your particular field of creative endeavor. I would like to mention a new release from Joanna that is just for writers and which we don't mention in the interview. And that's the new edition of her book, How to Market a Book, which does exactly what it says on the tin. Joe's one of the foremost authorities on what works and what doesn't for book marketing. She's constantly experimenting and researching new approaches, so take it from me, you can trust her advice. The book is currently available for pre-order if you visit thecreativepen.com slash howtomarketabook, and that is pen with a double N. I've had a couple of emails in the last two weeks from people asking if I'm still offering one-to-one coaching. And the answer is yes. I did close my psychotherapy practice a few years ago, but the coaching practice is still very much alive and ongoing. It's currently my main activity, apart from writing and more recently podcasting. I only work with a small number of clients at a time, and I work with a particular kind of client. Someone who is a creative professional, whether artistic, commercial, or entrepreneurial, and typically someone who is mid-career onwards. So someone with a bit of experience under their belt, who's looking to make big changes, whether creatively, personally, professionally, or financially. If that sounds like you, then maybe we should talk. If you're curious to know more about my coaching, you can do that at 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash coaching. Finally, it's a really strange time here in the UK at the moment. On the one hand, we're experiencing a mini heat wave. It's a beautiful summer. And the countryside, especially here in the West Country, is stunning. So it's been lovely to spend some time out in nature to savour it. On the other hand, I want to take a moment just to acknowledge the recent tragedies, you know, the terror attacks and the fire at Grenfell Tower. It's a really heartbreaking time for the country, and there are days when I think we're all questioning what's happening to our society. You know, the glimmers of hope, of course, have come from the bravery of the emergency services and ordinary people caught up in these events. And also the acts of generosity and solidarity as people make strenuous efforts to come together in the face of adversity. So long may those efforts continue.
Our theme for today is Forget the Career Ladder, Start Creating Assets. I often talk to coaching clients who are anxious about their career progression. They look at friends who are moving from promotion to promotion, climbing the corporate ladder. Or they keep hearing stories from their family about how well Cousin George is doing in the fancy law firm, and why can't you be more like him? And they start asking themselves, what am I doing with my career? Because on a bad day, it feels like you're going nowhere fast. In his old age, W.H. Auden used to joke, if I'd entered the church, I'd be a bishop by now. But he hadn't, and he wasn't. He was a poet, revered by some people, ignored by most. And that was the key to his success. Because of the large body of amazing poetry he had written over his lifetime, opportunities and money came to him. If he had never written those poems, he'd have just been an eccentric old guy wandering the streets in sunglasses and slippers. On any given day, the world was not beating a path to his door, demanding he write another poem. He committed to his writing as a solitary pursuit. But as the years went by, he touched more and more people with his writing, and the world became more and more grateful for his contribution. By the time he died, he had achieved exponentially more than if he had pursued an incremental career like the church or the civil service. So what can we learn from Auden's example? Over the past 20 years, I've listened to hundreds of creative professionals talk about their career aspirations and progress, or the lack of it. I've noticed a consistent difference between those who are caught up in a perpetual struggle and the ones who achieve creative fulfilment and external success. The strugglers live from project to project, gig to gig. Each new project feels like starting afresh from scratch. Each new client needs to be pitched and sold from scratch. They are always too busy or too skint to do the work they really want to do. It's exhausting and demoralising. But the ones who prosper take a longer-term approach. As well as living day-to-day, -day, they carve out time to create assets that will make everything easier, more enjoyable and more profitable in the future. As time goes by, they have more and more assets and the effects start to multiply to the point where they achieve exponentially more than they had ever thought possible. So what do I mean by an asset? According to the Oxford Dictionary, an asset is a thing or person of use or value. The word entered English in the Middle Ages, and it's related to the French word assez, meaning enough. In economic terms, if you had enough assets, you were able to meet your financial obligations. Accountants like to distinguish between tangible assets, physical property such as buildings and equipment, and intangible assets, virtual property such as copyrights, trademarks, franchises, software, stocks and bonds. The relationship between assets and money can be very direct, as with a building, a tangible asset, that can be sold for cash, or very indirect. For example, the goodwill associated with a business may be considered an intangible asset 
that will help to attract customers and income to the business in future. A crucial feature of an asset is that you acquire it or create it in the expectation of future reward. A property developer buys property in the expectation of profiting from selling or renting it in future. An investor buys stocks in the expectations of future dividends. A company trademarks its name to protect its brand and the profits that flow from it. Publishers and studios acquire copyrights and trademarks in books and movies in order to generate revenue from them. Now, one of the wonderful things about being a creator is that you can create your own assets out of thin air, plus imagination and a little hard work. So forget the career ladder. It wasn't built for people like us. Instead, create the kind of assets that will bring you more creativity, more connections, and more emotional and financial buoyancy in the years ahead. So for our purposes here, I'm going to focus on what I call creative assets. A creative asset is something you create yourself that is A, worthwhile and satisfying in itself, and B, will make life easier, more rewarding, more profitable, or at least more fun in future. Here are some kinds of creative asset you can produce. Your portfolio. This is your signature asset, the collection of work you are most proud of. Social assets. Your network of professional contacts, the audience of people who know about your work. Reputational assets such as your brand, association with other prestigious brands, such as publishers, galleries, record labels, prizes and awards that you may win. Online assets, like a website, a blog, a podcast, a YouTube channel, a mailing list, or a social media profile. Intellectual property assets, the copyright in your work, the trademark associated with your brand. Systemic assets, a productivity system, a sales process, a business model that generates value for your customers and your business. Lastly, business assets such as your product range or your company itself. Some of these assets generate money directly, like a book, an artwork, a software app or an album that you can sell. So, for example, if you write a series of successful novels, it can bring you income for the rest of your life and even for your family after your death. The more novels you write, the more valuable assets you have. But not all creative assets are obvious money spinners. Some create non-financial rewards or they generate money indirectly, like a YouTube channel, a podcast, a networking event or a blog. So, supposing you have a popular YouTube channel. If you look at your production costs and all the time you devote to it, relative to the advertising money you earn, your channel may look like a loss on your accounts. But looking back over the past few years, you may realise how many clients and projects, not to mention how much fun and friendship, have come to you because of your channel. Or... Supposing you create an avant-garde experimental rock album, it probably won't sell a million copies, but it may win you the respect of the discerning audience you made it for, and connections, opportunities, and even money may flow from that. Every true creator creates for love, 
first and foremost. So your portfolio of creative work should always be your top priority and the asset you commit the most time to building. In addition to that, the three main ways creators measure their professional success are money, fame, as in public awareness, and reputation, meaning awareness of people within your artistic or professional community. So the kind of assets you create depends on which of these are your biggest priorities. If money is a big priority, you'll create products or develop a new business model or a sales process, or you'll build a company. If fame is a big ambition for you, you're going to want to attract an audience. You'll need a website, maybe a blog, maybe a podcast, mailing list, social media, or media appearances in TV, radio, magazines, and so on. If reputation, as in your critical, your artistic reputation, is the most important thing, you're going to want to focus on your portfolio, on being published by respected publishers or exhibiting in prestigious venues, winning awards and prizes, and glowing reviews from the New York Times. So, here's a way to get you thinking about the kind of assets you can create next that are going to have the biggest impact on your career. Firstly, make a list of your current assets. And to help you do this, I'm going to include the list of the different types of asset in the show notes. So just go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash five, as in numeral five. What's the balance of money, fame, and reputation in your career right now? Are you happy with that? Which would you like more of? Now, brainstorm ideas for new assets that could help you get this. Again, look at the list in the show notes and you'll see that I've indicated next to each type of asset whether it's more likely to bring you money, fame or reputation. Now pick one asset from your list, the one that looks most promising in terms of its impact on your career, and make it a project to start building that asset as soon as possible. Okay, next week we're going to continue looking at assets in terms of minimizing the risk and increasing security in your creative career. Over the past few weeks, I've received some nice emails from listeners saying they're enjoying the podcast and hearing my guests talk about their creative journeys, and they're curious to learn more about me as a poet and asking where they can read my poems. So, if you're interested in my work as a poet, my poetry website is markmcginnis.com. That's M-A-R-K-M-C-G-U-I-N-N-E-S-S dot com. It's where I share some of my own poetry, and I also blog about other poets and their work. Most of my poems in print to date have been published in various literary magazines. I'm working on my first collection of poems, and I'll let you know as soon as it comes out. But in the meanwhile, you can read a selection of my poems at markmcginnis.com poems. I'm also working on a long verse translation of Geoffrey Chaucer's poem, Troilus and Cressida. Last year, I was awarded third prize in the Stephen Spender Prize for the opening passage of my translation. So, if you want to read that, you can find it on the website 
of the Stephen Spender Trust via this link, markmcginnis.com slash spender. Finally, if you'd like my poetry blog delivered to your inbox, including announcements of my readings and new publications, go to markmcginnis.com slash delivery and put your email address in the yellow box. This week's guest is Joanna Penn, who leads a double life as a writer. Under the name J.F. Penn, she's a successful thriller author who has topped the New York Times and USA Today bestseller lists. As I record this, she's just been nominated as a finalist in the International Thriller Writers Awards for 2017s, some of the most prestigious prizes in the industry for thriller writers. Meanwhile, Writing under the name Joanna Penn, she is a leading authority on writing, publishing, and marketing for authors, with a string of non-fiction books, as well as in-depth e-learning courses, and her very popular podcast, The Creative Pen. Her site, thecreativepen.com, that's pen with a double N, is regularly voted one of the top 10 sites for writers and self-publishers. And in 2013, she was included in The Guardian's list of the 100 most innovative and influential people in the UK creative industries. I've known Joanna for many years. She's the main person I turn to for advice on publishing and marketing my own books. And her podcast, The Creative Pen, is one of the very few that I listen to every week. She's a creator who enthusiastically embraces the creative challenges of running her business as well as writing her books, which makes her a great example of a 21st century creative, making the most of the times we're living in. One of Joanna's books for writers is The Successful Author Mindset, where she delves beneath the surface of writing and publishing techniques and looks at the attitude it takes to succeed as a writer. Reading it, I was struck by the fact that nearly everything in the book applies to all kinds of artists and creatives. So for this interview, I asked her to talk about the successful creative mindset. We start off with what led Jo to quit her high-paying job as an IT consultant and become a writer. And we consider different aspects of ambition, ego, motivation, and what constitutes success. Whatever your line of creative work, this is a conversation that will give you plenty of food for thought. Welcome, Joanna. You're known as an author of thrillers and also an expert on self-publishing and business for writers. But the main thing I want to talk to you about today is something that's key to the success of any artist or creative and which is very easily overlooked, and that's your mindset. I've been listening to your podcast for several years now, and I've got a lot of really valuable information about publishing news and writing and, and marketing and so on. But I think the most important thing I've taken from it is your attitude, because the way you approach your writing, the business, everything you do, it's so upbeat and refreshing and positive. And I sometimes even say to clients who are not writers, look, just listen to 10 minutes of Joanna you're going to hear the attitude of a, a really successful entrepreneur. You know, you've written a whole book on the subject, which is called The Successful Author Mindset, which I thoroughly recommend. And I'm really pleased that today you've agreed to widen your focus a little to talk about other types of creative. So we're going to have the conversation around the successful creative mindset, because it's fundamentally the same thing, isn't it? 
Mm, yeah, and it's it's funny you say that because you know there's there's two sides here. First of all, we're going to get into the details of the mindset stuff, and um, but also with a podcast and and having a sort of public persona, I think it's important to remind everyone that we all have these two sides. And when I'm having a bad day. I actually don't go on my podcast and tell people about it. <laughs> I, I kind of think one of my roles is to be upbeat. And so, that, you know, one of my first tips for people listening is, um, you know, kind of understand the two sides. You know, we all as creative entrepreneurs need to build our audience in some way, but you have to curate your own attitude, both for the creative time that you have, um, you know, on your own with your pen or your, you know, palette or whatever you do. And then the side that you let face the world. So I actively choose a positive um, uh, attitude out, outwardly into the world because I think you attract the type of energy that you put out there. So, uh, you know, there's kind of two sides to that. But yes, the, the mindset is, is super important. I think that's a really good point because, I mean, <laughs> I certainly don't put everything into my podcast that goes through my head or out of my mouth on a given week. I can have grumpy days. I can have days where I find myself complaining and when it comes to time to work, whether it's my own writing or, you know, something like this I'm putting out into the world, I think it's worth, you know, there's a filter that comes into place and think, okay, what what is really important here? Mm. And I think it's quite a good way as well doing something like this of keep, maybe keeping us a little honest and saying, um, okay, but, but what, what would I actually stand behind? What would I put out there in public? And I, I find it, yeah. it kind of gets rid of a lot of the kind of self-indulgent complaining, if that makes sense. Yes. And I think that's actually very useful. And it was interesting when I was writing this book, The Successful Author Mindset, it took me a lot longer than I wanted to because I went through my journals from the last sort of 15 years and I've got them here behind wow. me, just lots and lots of journals. And it was so interesting. You know, I'm I'm a writer and I've always written journals since I was about 15. And going through them, a lot of it is self-indulgent nonsense. <laughs> and, you know, that's why you don't publish a journal because it's your private thought. It's repetitive it's uh you know there's just stuff in there you you wouldn't put out there like you we wouldn't publish the transcript of this conversation you know just as is with all the ums and ahs and you knows and stuff like that the, the the things we put out into the world need to be curated in some way so what was interesting going through the book and trying to write the book was I included excerpts from those journals and that was very hard because that's my that is the downside you know I put some of my fears and upsets and and, you know, the vulnerability that I face as a creative and that we all do because I wanted to share that side. But equally then, I didn't put a whole load, you know, I didn't put it over and over again. I would share one excerpt about my fear um, of publication, for example, or my fear of judgment, my own self-censorship, these types of things. And, and then I'd um, offer an antidote to that feeling. Um, so it was interesting going through my journals of how often the repetitive emotions come up as a creative uh, and that's actually just part of the journey and the, the cycle of creation is going through these negatives the frustration the forcing yourself to go to the page you know all these things are important but um, yeah when you share it with the world um, you know as you do with your poetry you're not sharing all of the battle you're sharing a finished product um, although we can talk about it along the way. Yeah, so one big thing I'm picking up from you already is that, you know, having the the successful creative mindset, it's not about, 
having a squeaky clean mind that no negative thoughts ever come into. It's just, it's more about having awareness around the thoughts that come into your mind, the the emotions, the feelings, the repetitive patterns, and almost almost having like an edit- editorial process, it sounds like, going, okay, well, what am I going to keep? What am I going to leave? Maybe the same way we do with a, a first draft. Yeah, exactly. And um, I've been doing, uh, I haven't done it a long time, but I've been doing yoga for about six months now. And it's kind of the same with that and with meditation yeah. is you never expect to not have monkey mind and your your brain doing things. But it's that it is that awareness, as you say, it's the awareness of that feeling that enables you to separate that part of you and and look at it and go, okay, I'm feeling like that. And what's so interesting now is I reread the successful author mindset and I almost don't recognize that I wrote it. Um, Mm. So I finished um, my last novel, I finished uh, January, end of days. And I had, after I finished that novel, I, I felt I will never write anything again. I'm completely empty. And then I went to the book and I was like, oh, yes, I wrote that before. Apparently, that's what happens every time I finish a book. (laughs) And it was kind of like, oh, if you are aware that that is part of the cycle, you can separate yourself from it and look at it and go, okay, I won't let it derail me. I will... I will sleep. I will um, start filling my creative well again. I will play a bit. I'll do some walking. And then eventually, uh, according to the cycle that I have been through many times before, something will come up, something will emerge. Um, And I mean, I do have stuff on my wall, which helps me, uh, one of which is trust emergence, uh, as in things will come, even if you feel empty and blocked and whatever. So so yeah, the the awareness of, of your mindset is really important. Yeah, I think you're tri- you know when you first write the book or you first do a major product project, it just feels so overwhelming and you feel so drained at the end. I remember hearing a quite a funny interview with David Bowie where they were asking about, so why did you kill Ziggy? And he said, well, one reason he said I was just so tired. He says I just couldn't face doing it anymore. And he says because and he's, that was the first time he'd done a really big tour. And so he thought, I'll kill him off, and then I won't have to do it again. And he said, but after, when he did a few more tours, he realized, oh, you just feel like that all the time. You don't have to, mm. <laughs> you don't have to literally kill, you know, break up the band at the end of it. But uh, I thought that was quite telling. He said, you just, you get to that point where you, there's nothing left. That's what you feel like. Well, it's interesting you say that because authors often do that with their characters. You know, uh, End of Days is actually the ninth book in my Arcane series. And my main character, um, Morgan, is really tired by the end. And my mum read it recently. She said, I think maybe Morgan needs a rest. And I'm like, yeah, Morgan's definitely having a rest now. (laughs) And basically, you know, I put this, who basically is my alter ego character, you know, and I'm like, I'm going to write about a different character. And I resisted the temptation to kill her off. I thought about it, you know, uh, like they've had in some TV series. A big explosion, or um, Game of Thrones did it, didn't they? They blew up the. Um, oh, I won't ruin that. They blew up something. I, won't I have say no what. idea what um, you're talking about. <laughs> oh, it doesn't that? Well, people who like Game of Thrones will know what I mean. But um, you know, killing off characters is if you just get really annoyed, that's kind of what people feel yeah. like doing. But I would I would counsel people to try not to make these grand gestures because, as you say, uh, you know, you will come back to that. If you're sick of it, that means you should probably just put it down and 
um, rest it. Stephen King says to rest um, a manuscript. I think the same yeah. principle would apply for any creative work and then come back to it with fresh eyes when you are over that sort of, I am so sick of this project um and i think you have to go through that feeling uh, too that kind of i'm really over it because on the other side of that is the final polish yeah. <laughs> and then it's out in the world and then it's doing its thing yeah much better to go through that than than have the feeling of oh, i could probably have done a bit more and that's, that's not quite where it, it could have been mm. okay joe i'd like to wind the clock back a little bit because you weren't always this international best-selling author and you've talked about your own journey when years ago you were firmly entrenched in corporate life. You know, you had the high paying job, you were doing really well, climbing the career ladder. So what on earth possessed you to give it all up and become a writer? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I like many people in Britain, particularly, we have these degrees, as you know, that are not necessarily uh, leading to anything. <laughs> so I did a degree in theology. And then the job I got out of college, um, I went to work for a consultancy firm, uh, implementing accounts payable into corporates. Now, those things don't match at all. Um, but but essentially, I fell into this job with the aim of paying off my student loan. And I never expected to do that corporate job for very long. Um, and in fact, after a couple of years, I resigned, I went traveling, and then the money ran out. And I went back to the job that I knew, you know, again, you know, putting systems into big corporates. And, and that kept that pattern kept repeating, I would get sick of it, I'd resign, just like we said about kind of giving everything up, I'd be like, I, I need to figure out something else in my life. Um, I started several other businesses, but I always went back to this day job. And after 13 years of this repetition um, of doing this, uh, I was like, I have to change my life. This is crazy. I got to a point in my job where I was crying at work mm. and I'm a happy person, you yeah. know. Um, and I, I literally, I was just like, what am I doing? My life is pointless. And I got to a point where I was angry. Uh, I, I was angry all the time. And again, I'm not an angry person. Mm. And I was like, what is wrong with me? And I it sort of came down to I wasn't creating anything. So I was earning this money and I was spending the money like many people do when you're kind of like, oh, I deserve this because yeah. I had such a bad day. I deserve this. Um, and so the money wasn't even going anywhere. I had nothing to show for my time uh, except paying the bills. You know, we had a house and investments and all of this. And But yet I, I felt unfulfilled with my life. I wanted to be creative. I had this sort of sickness in my soul because I wasn't creating anything. Um and then I I thought, oh, well, I, you know, I like writing. Uh, I started listening to a lot of self-help stuff, mm -hmm. which, again, is probably why I started a podcast later on, because audio has made such a difference in my life. I started listening to Tony Robbins and uh, a whole load of, you know, people like that around mindset. A lot of that is around changing your mindset and, and taking responsibility for where you were. And uh, I read a book called The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. And the very first thing is, you know, take responsibility for your life. So where I was at that point with, you know, the, the mortgage, the car, the good job um, was exactly where my my path had taken me and the choices I'd made along the way had led me there. So I, I realized that to change my life, I had to make new choices. Uh, and I, that, that sounds not very radical, but it really was radical to me because, you know, you kind of fall into a career if you don't 
actively choose it. And so I was determined this time to actively choose my next career. And I started to write a book. I decided to write a book on career change, uh, which I later rewrote. So if people um, search for career change on Amazon, it's, it's there. And I wanted to figure out how you would find the career that you that was great, that you loved, because I, I didn't really know how I was going to find the thing I love. So I started writing this book. And in the process of writing that book, I discovered how to write a book and how to publish a book. And uh, I started to learn about book marketing and ended up starting my site, The Creative Pen in 2008, um, which was just a blog sharing my lessons learned for other people. And then I started a podcast and I still had the job. Remember, I was still working, um, was writing, and then I started getting into the community. And you know, fast forward, what happened was I started making money <laughs> from this from this blog and not necessarily from the books at first. But what happened was by me sharing my journey, I attracted other people who were making that journey too and started to find a new life. And that was like a revelation to me. Um, so the other thing that happened, and, and this is, you know, just the time we live in, in 2008, blogging was starting to pivot from just people talking about their dogs or whatever to people making money from blogs and online businesses. And in 2009, Amazon launched the Kindle. And when they launched the Kindle, I saw the business model of ebooks. And this was when ebooks were maybe half a percent of book sales in the US, whereas now they're around 45%. Um, so I was like, wow, this this could be a game changer. And as a businesswoman, I was like, okay, I can see how I could make a business that I love. I can make money online. I can travel. I can have a location independent life. And that was the point I really started focusing. And, and in September 2011, I, I was able to leave my job. So that's a kind of potted history, but it really was a sort of combination of, a, a first of all, that mindset shift, and then st literally starting without having a clue what I was doing, and then the technology coming in, uh, and then being more intentional about it. Well, thank you. That's a great story. And there's two things I'm picking up here. One is that the whole journey, the whole pivot that your life made began with your mindset, began with that insight, ah, I need to actively choose need to make active choices about what I do, where I put my time and so on, if I want the life that I want. And then once you've done that, then I'm picking up, okay, the technology was there, but you were focused outwards. You were curious, you were exploring in order to, to find the opportunity. Mm, and I think that active choice is really important. So one thing that we did um, that made all the difference was I said to my husband, who's wonderfully supportive, we have to sell the house because I knew I couldn't change my life without downsizing our our outgoings. So, you know, many people don't necessarily want to do this, but we downsized completely, got rid of our debt so that, because I was the primary breadwinner at the time, um, so that I would have a chance to make this different life. And it took, it took almost five years to get the money back up to where it was when I left that job. Um, uh, what, 18 months ago now, my husband was able to leave his job as well. So obviously right now we're back up to where, you know, beyond where we were before. But that active choice around money as well as mindset, I think, is very important because it's all very well saying, yay, change your life. <laughs> but you do have to actually take the practical steps towards it. And, and the technology was definitely one and the curiosity, but the 
putting everything else in place so that I did not have to repeat my going back to the day job thing again was also really important. And again, I'm hearing, you know, your attitude is key to this because I remember you saying once that about meeting someone from your old life, the old corporate life, and they said, oh, I wish I could do what you did. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, a lot of people say that. And in fact, I spoke in Brisbane in Australia a couple of weeks ago and a woman was there and I did the year of a novel there in 2010. That was where I wrote my first novel, which is uh, now Stone of Fire. And since then, I've written 13 other novels and a woman uh, came along and she said, oh, I was on that course with you. I'm still writing that novel. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that same one. Okay. And I was like, OK, then, you know, so so that these... Two people can be on the same course yeah. and one can change their life and the other can stay in the same place. Uh, so it is that kind of, um, and, you know, you and I both, you know, we like the law of attraction in terms of, yes, positive energy out there. You attract things, but action is also the important part of the law of attraction in that you can't just want these things to happen. You can't just want a brilliant lifestyle and money and happiness. You have to take the actions towards that. And and this is something um, we talk about a lot now. And st I'm st you still have to actively make these choices all the time because the other side of success, as you know, is you know, at the beginning, you say yes to everything because you want the opportunity. And as you become successful, you have to start saying no to things <laughs> yeah. because there are so many opportunities. And then you have to really hone down what you really want. So I've been reflecting on that and coming back to what do I want? And it always comes down to the creation. So just to come back to that, you know, it's it's writing the books that makes me feel happy and and contented and measuring my life by what I create, those are the things I have to keep coming back to. Right. And I think that's a key phrase, how you measure your life, because a lot of people would be in the situation you've described and be really unhappy and they would dream of the new life, but then it would be, well, yeah, but of course we need to keep the house. Well, of course we need the mm. extra car. We, of course we need the holiday this year. Of course we need et cetera, et cetera. And I think there's a lot of social pressure to want to be seen to be keeping up and moving ever upwards. Was that an issue for you or were you just relieved to be to rid of it all? Oh, I mean, it was definitely an issue. One of the things that surprised me most about the first year after giving up the job was my um, drop in self-esteem. And yeah. I've seen my husband go through it two in the last 18 months and it's very strange how it happens so well maybe it's not strange it's the same thing that happens when people retire so you have to tackle this feeling at some point yeah. <laughs> when you leave a traditional <laughs> job so there's this status as you say um, maybe it's the particular point in history where we're living like your kids won't suffer this because their life will be different but you know we're of an age where you know you were meant to get a, a degree and then a proper job yeah. and you you know you get to a certain age and you pay your pension and you retire and 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 that leaving a job that has the kind of old school status, I was amazed at how I felt sort of belittled, and people would be like, "Oh, well, you know, uh, you you can obviously do whatever you like because you're at home all day and you're not working." And it's like, "Well, no, I am working. I I'm know, actually working really hard." <laughs> that, that presupposition, because because there's nobody standing over you, you're not being productive. I find really. Like if somebody says to me, well, you know, how come you don't just surf the internet all day? How do you get anything done? And I'm, I'm thinking, well, that's, that's not a creative mindset. That's an employee's mindset who, not that you can't be creative as an employee, but if you're looking to somebody who is to hold you accountable, 
before you get anything done, you, you're never going to succeed, no matter whether you, you're in employment or you're an independent artist or an entrepreneur or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And I think it, it does come down to what is your definition of success. So this is this is what, you know, and I'm, I know I'm so lucky to have a husband who, you know, we're on the same wavelength about these things. For us, the money was great. And we really like money. I want to say that, you know, we like <laughs> living a nice life. But at the point at which I was crying at work, the money was the least important thing. And my husband was like, why, why are you doing this? Why are you so miserable? Let's just change things and downsize and then you won't have to do this like you could just work in a cafe if you want you know that wasn't what I wanted to do but so much of my self-imposed stress was paying for things that weren't even making my life necessarily any better um, you know you can rent a property you don't have to have a mortgage and actually I I love being debt free it's, it's a fantastic feeling <laughs> um, and it, so I think when you start making choices around your happiness and the other thing we decided was to make choices away from stress. So a lot of corporate life is makes you sick. I mean, it really does. It can make you um, ill with stress. It can, you know, you can you can get really fat because <laughs> you're just eating to, to reward yourself and, and eating too much sugar. I was taking painkillers every day for my headaches. Um, since I left that job, I barely get migraines anymore. Um, you know, just your physical health. So when we looked at what's really important, the definition of success, and, for, and again, on my wall, I've got, you know, measure my life by what I create. Um, creating makes me happy, makes me a nicer person. Um, and, you know, having my books here next to me makes me feel good about what I'm doing with my time. And the money has eventually come. So the definition of success there w works in a way too. Now, what's interesting is I actually care a lot less what other people think these days. So that first year was really hard, but it was to do with my insecurity that I might have to go back to the job. So I was like, oh, people, if I have to go back again, you know, people will just sort of look at me like I'm a failure. Um, that fear of failure, fear of judgment, uh, you know, those are things you have to tackle. But if you can get through those those times by holding up what your definition of success is. So for me, it was a six figure income. It was doing a job, doing work that I love, um, writing books and helping people through my podcast and my website and helping my family and just generally being happy. Yeah. <laughs> then, then that was more important than having a business card from a, you know, a name brand consulting firm. <laughs> right. And I really like, you know, that quick definition of success she gave us it's, it's very rounded. You know, you've got the money, the six-figure income, but is doing work that you love, so you're fulfilled. And it's it's helping people through the podcast and your other writing, and also, you know, helping your family as well. It's a much more well-rounded definition of success than the one you had before. So, mm. and again, I always find that it's creatives, they can get stuck in when it's black and white thinking, well, should I chase the money or should I do what I want to do creatively. And I like Hugh McLeod's cartoon where he says, well, can't you just compromise and be a millionaire artist? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's exactly right. And, and that's the other thing. I mean, again, and I, you know, look at your, your kids and I'm, you know, I want them to be able to grow up it, into a, an, an age where it's totally acceptable to be a millionaire artist. Um, you know, on one hand, we've got people who are like, you know, your, my older family are like, well, you can never make any money with, 
being a creative and I'm like well I am actually yeah. <laughs> and then on the other hand there's a whole load of creatives authors especially are terrible who are like well you can never make any money with books so you, you have to be one or the other but you know you and I get on because we believe you can be both we're the greedy ones <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, and, and again, there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting, wanting everything, but it's just how you, how you go about achieving it. And, and, and it's, you know, it's interesting that what we've decided that we like. So it's, it's, as we talk, it's my birthday tomorrow. Um, and, uh, you know, my mother-in-law said to me, oh, what are you doing? You know, and thinking that we were going to do something, I don't know, really exciting. And we're going to walk along the canal here in Bath, where I live. Now, I just love walking along the canal. <laughs> it doesn't cost any money and we'll take our own sandwiches. <laughs> and, actually, and it sounds like, actually, that's, yeah, we're so rock and roll. That's the life of a successful author. <laughs> this is life totally in the fast lane, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's funny when I thought, what do I really want? You know, I, I've just got back from Australia and New Zealand. I'm off to America, to New Orleans next week. You know, I do have an exciting life. Um, but I was just like, do you know what? I just want to go walk on the canal and, and look at the flowers. And, and, and what's nice now is I can, I'm actively making those choices around what makes me happy. Whereas when I was back doing that consulting job, it did feel like I was constantly chasing something, uh, you know, enough money so that I could give up my day job. You know, yeah. that seems to be what everyone thinks. Like, oh, I must make all of this money so that I can then downsize. It's like, well, why don't you just do that earlier? And I, I do I do credit Tim Ferriss for, you know, for much of changing my life as well, because he released the four-hour work week um, around that time in, in 2007. I think it was 2007, 2006, 2007, he released that book. And I read it and was like, oh my goodness he's right <laughs> you know why why wait till you're retired when you yeah. gonna downsize and write the book why don't you just do that now <laughs> so yeah there's a lot of I think writing you know reading and writing books is you know a lot of what has changed my life <laughs> it is great to see you paying it forward with what you're doing now I mean I think a lot of writers are, have, have got a similar motivation that we've get so much from the art or the the genre or the, you know, the, the field that we want to put something in ourselves. Yeah. And also I think it's about figuring out, um, you know, cause you've done this too, writing books for creatives because you, we almost figure out what we think by writing. Yes. Um, so the successful author mindset I wrote because I needed to understand my own process. Um, and you know, so that really, it helps me. And then if it helps you, it will probably help other people. <laughs> so you might right, as well put that right. out into, I into agree. the world. No, I think it's a very useful tool for reflection and, and kind of raising your own self-awareness. And, you know, even if you're listening to this and you're not a writer and you're not planning on launching a podcast, but maybe some kind of reflective journal or even just, you know, have a coffee and, and try and teach something to a friend that you do in your work mm. or in your business really makes you example exactly how, what do I think about that? What do I, how do I do that? And it's a really good lens to put under your own practice. Exactly. I also think um, that creatives need to think constantly about multiple streams of income and uh, having teaching is something that creatives have, have always done. And luckily, we're again, we're in this um, society now where we can write a book, we can um, teach a course, uh, you know, online, we can do an audio, we can share the process. And, uh, you know, uh, Austin Cleon talks about showing your work. Um, that's similar to what I've done on, on my site the creative pen uh you know my sort of work over the years and that in 
in turn can bring you income streams around the creation of your work, not just the work itself. <laughs> so, you know, that's the other side of it as a creative is is thinking not not in terms of, oh, how can I monetize every part of my life? That's the kind of slightly negative view of it. It's more like, okay, how can I help other people, but also in the same time, produce something that they might be willing to pay for um, and enrich their life, but also um, help me live a full-time, you know, happy life as a creative and, and not have to have baked beans for dinner. So what, one of the things that I love right now, and a lot of creatives should look at this, um, is Patreon. Uh, so Patreon, if you don't know uh, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com it's like a sponsorship site almost like a pledge uh, site for creatives and there are musicians there artists podcasters writers um, who basically offer their work comic you know comic book creators you put your work up and people pledge to support you with a certain amount per month and um, my podcast is free the creative pen podcast is free and it's been going for several years now and has over 300 episodes and now I have a whole load of people in my audience who pay me uh, every month because they love the show. They don't have to because they can listen to it for free, but they all put money in a tip jar, Patreon, and I get now quite a considerable amount of money every month from these supporters. And it's a brilliant example of showing your work. So, you know, through through the podcast, I'm sharing my journey and then people wanting to support you. So I would just urge creatives to think beyond just selling the finished product, whatever that is, and to think about sharing that journey along the way. See, this this is what I mean the, about the, the upbeat mindset, because so one of the themes of this podcast, in fact, is it was the best of times. It was the worst of times, you know, because I often I look around and I see there is some creatives are out there basically complaining or in despair that they feel the 21st century, the technology, the Internet, all the old business models, all the old routes to success of are drying up and disappearing. And we're hearing certainly I, I know you've You've seen the articles about what an awful time to be a writer, that um, you know royalties are down, advances are down, <laughs> literary festivals don't pay you for your appearances, etc. And yet, on the other hand, there are the people who are saying, this is the best possible time to be a writer or to be an artist or to be a you know, musician or, or whatever. I mean, obviously, you're on the side of the enthusiasts. I, <laughs> I think it's fairly clear. But what do you? Yeah, I get. What do you think is accounts for the difference? Yeah, what, why are some people looking at this time in history and saying it's a disaster, and others are saying this is the biggest opportunity since I don't know the Renaissance? Yeah, I know. And well, I mean, we are in a, in difficult times to be, you know, let's be honest, in the political scene yeah. across the world, we are in difficult times and polarised times. And there are people who have been left behind um, by the way society has been. And, you know, I fully realise, you know, I, you and I are talking on, on the internet, on our laptop computers. Uh, we both have enough to eat and shelter and everything. And I feel very lucky to be able at this point, uh, you know, to, to be doing this. Um, and, and yet, as you say, a lot of the people who are complaining are people in the same situation as you and me. They're not necessarily, you know, homeless on the street. Right, They're actually right. I'm, I'm talking about creators, you know, like artists and yeah. writers. And, and you know, there's, su there's the, even such a, a split within that group. 
Yeah, and I think, I mean, again, coming back to mindset, but it is fear. And that's what we're seeing in the political world is a fear of change, fear of things becoming global. So I know a lot of traditionally published authors, as you say, who are very negative about self-publishing, as they call it, you know, the tsunami of crap. And, you know, they talk about all this type of thing and, and they don't see the positives. They just kind of cower in the corner and take their £2,000 for a, a book or whatever. And I'm like, look, you can make that back a lot faster if you go indie. Um, but I think it's, um, it is a fear of change, which many people have. Um, and you kind of have to tackle that head on and, and decide what you want. Again, if you want a happy future, a happy creative future, then jump on the train. You know, it's not stopping. You, you can't stop change. You just have to uh, adapt to the process. Um, but also, I don't know, I just think there there's something maybe about the creative um, personality that some people uh, like being uh, poor. That's why, you know, when they say there are um, stereotypes about different people <laughs> um, and the, the stereotype of the poor author in the garret or the poor creative in the garret is a common one. Um, you know, for, Picasso was obviously a multimillionaire when he died, but most um, painters... Were not and were not Picasso in terms of of their wealth at that point. So I don't know. I think it's it's something that you have to choose and recognise. Uh, and also, I don't know why so many creatives reject money. Um, but I think at the moment, a lot of the stories about authors are all about money. So it's and I was yeah. talking about this with a mutual mutual friend, Orna Ross. When people look at self-publishing and the rise of the indie movement, all they seem to talk about is this author made six figures, this author made seven figures. And then in traditional publishing, this author had to go back to his day job. Or this author only made ten thousand pounds last year. Um the obsession with money over creating happiness or you know this 65 year old woman can go out for dinner every week on the sales of her books I mean how cool is that (laughs) but it's it's fascinating how that there is this obsession and yet yeah sort of ups and downs so I guess there's no answer but you have to actively choose what type of mindset Um, and when I feel negative about things I try and think well how can we change it so one of the things I do many of us are a little worried about is Amazon's dominance in the um, bookselling market now, they have around eighty percent of the ebook share of uh, America, UK, Australia, Canada, New Zealand. That is a lot, and I mean, their um, some of their stuff is is huge. Uh, they won just won uh, Oscars for Manchester by the Sea. They won Emmys for their uh, TV shows. They're very dominant, as you know. But we're happy Amazon customers, and yet I'm like, okay, so how do I make sure that I'm not? you know, my income is not dominated by Amazon. So I'm focusing on building up uh, an audience at Kobo and iBooks and selling direct on my website. And, you know, I can't change the world, but I can change my reaction to the world and make sure that I can be happy with that kind of split. And thinking about active choices, maybe you could, because you've got a great chapter in the book all about what is your definition of success. Could you maybe just talk us through some of the options? Because what I really liked about this chapter was that you don't say it's got to be this or that. It's like, well, you can you can choose this or you, or you can choose that. These are the options that you've got. It's about coming up with your own definition. 
Yeah, exactly. And and again, this is what's so funny. People often don't um, have a specific thing around it. So you often ask someone when they're writing a book, so, you know, what is your definition of success? And they're like, oh, it's, I just want to write a book. And I'm like, okay, that's great. So you can write a book. And then, so what do you want for publishing? And they'll be like, uh, well, I want it on every bookstore in Britain, which is quite measurable. But then some people might just say, I want readers to love it. Um, and it's like, okay, well, how many readers? In which company? How do you measure love? Is it number of uh, reviews? Is it, you know, number of dollars? Um, you know, is it that you want an agent and a publishing deal? You know, so you have to be more specific around your definition of success. And and also timely. It's a bit like the, the smart goals we used to talk about. So saying something like, um, I want to sell 10,000 books in a year, that is a measurable definition of success. Um, whereas, you know, or I want to win a literary prize, for example, or um, have a review in the Times. Um, these are measurable. And then once you know what that is, you can make choices towards that. So for example, if you want to win a literary prize, you're definitely better off going down the traditional publishing route because most of them are not even open to indie authors. Um, whereas if you want to make a six-figure income uh, and you don't care if anyone ever hears about you, like nobody knows who I am and yet I make a, you know, a very nice income in my little creative corner of the internet. <laughs> so, um, and I made a decision early on that my definition of success was not a around necessarily like being on the front page of the newspaper, but, um, you know, living a happy, creative life. So um, you have to decide, you know, what do you want for this book right now? And also for the next five years. And I think that's really important is to think, what do you, where do you want to be in, you know, uh, where are you? in 2022, for example, um, we're talking in 2017. So in 2022, what do you want? And how would you how will you get there? How will you make active choices towards that? So um, as I said, it's my birthday tomorrow and I'm 42. But one of my goals is to have 100 books by the time I'm 50. Um, and I have 23 books right now. So I actually do have to hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> I need to write Are some more books. Are you sure you've got books. time for that walk along the canal? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, dictation, uh, you know, okay. you, you can actually walk and talk. But, um, you know, to create a body of work I'm proud of. But 100 books by 50 is a really specific goal and one that I have every you know, confidence I will hit. But to obviously you have to break that down because you can't just wait until wait, you're 49 and write 100 books. <laughs> so, you know, these are the things for you to consider. And then also question that definition of success. So many people say, oh, I just want an agent. It's like, okay, yeah. And then what? Because getting an agent doesn't necessarily mean anything. You know, you might then get a book deal, or you might not get a book deal. It might mean it takes you three years to get a book deal or a film or whatever else you want. So, you know, you have to think beyond just the first step and consider the life you want. Um, you know, for example, becoming an independent author um, and running your own small business, it means you have to do things like accounting. You have to learn marketing. You can't just sit in your room and write. You have to do all the things associated with a small business. So did you, you know, when people realise that success as an author actually involves a whole load of things that are not writing, many people don't want that. So 
lots of different things to think about, but really sort of spend some time considering your definition of success and, and being honest about your reasons for wanting those things. Um, and of course, you know, you and I don't shy away from ambition and ego because that's fine too. You know, I would love some form of fame at some point. I'd love to see my book as a movie or a game. You know, I would, I would love something like that. Um, but, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I would love to be on the Forbes richest author list at some point. <laughs> well, there's, you know, there's that lovely moment in the book where you said you were talking about being at a conference and seeing some of your heroes who were, you know, really massive selling thriller writers. And you were saying to yourself, I want to be up there. I want to be that successful. I want that many people to love my writing. And yes, I mm. want that kind of money and fame. And then you go on, you say, that's ego talking, that's ambition talking, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I, I love that. <laughs> like, I think because unless we admit our ambitions, even to ourselves, you know, we ain't never going to achieve them. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, and I also share uh, another friend of mine, Libby Hawker, who who wants to win a Pulitzer. And I, when she told me that, I was like, that's awesome to, to say that out loud. Yeah. In, you know, I think she's in her 20s. You know, the type of ambitions we're talking about are lifetime ambitions. You know, they're actually things that you would generally hit in your 60s and potentially older. Uh, you know, and that means you're going to spend your life actively choosing to create and become a better craftsman over the years so that you can be good enough to get to that point. You know, if I think about Stephen King, to be as good as him when I'm in my 60s, um, you know, he's 25 years older than me basically. So in 25 years, if I can be as good a writer as Stephen King, then cool, <laughs> basically. And, and and that means actively choosing to write. You know, you can't just want to be a writer or a painter or a musician or whatever. You don't just choose the end point. You have to choose every day to sit down and do the words, to sit down and play the, the scales or whatever. I'm not a musician, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, you have to choose those habits every day to build your craft, to build your business so that you can achieve those ambitions over time. Right. And you know, I think my favourite way of measuring success that you have in the book is create a body of work that you're proud of. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And that, that, I mean, that's the thing, looking back at my old career, as I said, I spent 13 years as a business consultant implementing accounts payable into large corporates. I have, I, I'm, I have nothing in that time to show for it. I have nothing that says, look what I did in those 13 years. <laughs> I mean, I have some photos of holidays I spent money on, you know, but a body of work I'm proud of, uh, you know, I feel that as creatives, that has to be important. You have to look back and go, look what I did. You know, I made this. Like your kids will come to you and go, I made this. You know, that's how we need to feel. That creative child is proud to hold up our books or our paintings or our songs and go, look what I made. And that's my contribution to the world. And, and you know, we have to measure our life by what, our, what we create. I mean, what's the point otherwise? Indeed. And I think that is a good point for us to introduce the creative challenge. Yes. If you listen to the show before, then you'll know. At this point, I ask my guest to set you a challenge as a creator that you can accomplish this week. So I'll, if you want to take part in the challenge, I'll talk about the, how it works in more detail just after the interview. But for now, I just want to hand you over to Jo because she's going to set you your challenge to do by the end of Friday. Yes, so uh, it is going to uh, ask you to write down your definition of success for the next year 
and the next five years. So what do you want to achieve by 2022? And uh, so you have to be specific uh, around 2022, but also in the next year. And of course, we often overestimate what we can achieve in a year, but underestimate what we can achieve in five years. So um, dream big, but you have to write it down. Okay, so you're probably listening to this in in the car or, you know, at the gym or something. But yeah, write it down. And um, as I said, going back and reading through my journals, a lot of what I've written down over the years has actually happened. (laughs) So by writing it down, you're kind of really setting it in stone. So um, yeah, what is your definition of success for this year and for the next five years by 2022? And there will be either an ebook or an audiobook um, copy of the successful author mindset to the three winners that um, Mark will choose. He'll talk about that in a bit. But um, yeah, that's the challenge for this week. That's brilliant. Thank you, Joe. It's really kind to for us to have the prizes. And I think this is a really important thing to do. And I know some people are resistant to goal setting, but I would say each time I've written goals down and then I, I put a point in the diary for me to actually go and review them, it's always been a valuable exercise just to see, you know, even even if they don't apply anymore or what I achieved or what I didn't achieve or how I've changed since then. You know, you're, you're speaking your own ambition, even if it's only to yourself. So if you'd like to take part in the challenge, listen up. But basically, we'll be asking you to leave a comment about your goals for the next, what was this, is the next year and the next five years, Joe? Yes. Okay, great. Joe, thank you so much for your usual generosity and enthusiasm. People who are curious about the book, can you just remind us of the title and also where should people go to find you on the internet? Yeah, sure. So the book is The Successful Author Mindset, available in ebook, print, workbook format and audiobook uh, in all the usual places. Um, you can also come to thecreativepen.com, pen with a double N, and get the uh, free author blueprint, which is all about how to write, publish, market your book and make a full-time living as a writer. Uh, and also I have a podcast, The Creative Pen Podcast, if you uh, like to listen to some more English voices <laughs> talking Um, about books and publishing and everything like that. That's every Monday. And I'm on Twitter at The Creative Pen with a double N if you have any questions. Thank you. And obviously I'll put the links in the show notes. And I would just like to really recommend Joe's podcast. You know, it's one of the very few podcasts I actually listen to every week. And certainly if you're a writer, whatever route to publication, whatever genre you're in, I think you'll get a lot of inspiration and enthusiasm and even if you're not i would say go and listen to the introductions at least because you'll hear joe (laughs) enthusing and sharing all kinds of interesting wonderful things so thank you joe thanks for having me mark in just one moment i'll tell you how you can take part in this week's creative challenge but before that i'd like to ask you to do one small thing that will make a really big difference to the show And that's to pop along to iTunes and press the little purple subscribe button. And if you're really feeling full of enthusiasm for the 21st century creative, maybe you could leave a brief review explaining why you like the show. The reason for this is that it wakes up the little gremlins inside the iTunes store. Because there's so many shows, the gremlins can't be expected to figure out which ones are good and which ones will appeal to this person or that person. Plus, they're gremlins. They don't have your good taste and discernment. So they're relying on you 
to press the subscribe button, to leave a review or a rating, because that lets them know that this kind of show is the kind of show that appeals to this kind of person. In other words, other people of creativity, good taste and discernment. And the Gremlins will put the show in front of them and more people will discover it, they will benefit and critically, the Gremlins can knock off work early. So please, consider the Gremlins. Press the magic subscribe button. Leave them a review. So, an inspiring creative challenge from Joanna this week. If you want to take part in the challenge, here's how it works. The challenge is to write down your definition of success for the next year and the next five years. In other words, what do you want to achieve in the next 12 months? And beyond that, by 2022. And remember, Joe has told you to be specific and to make the commitment in writing, because by writing it down, you're starting to make it happen. Once you've decided on your definition of success, go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm/5 and leave a comment describing your goals for one year and five years' time. The deadline for comments is midnight United States Pacific time this Friday, 30th of June, 2017. Obviously, if you're listening to after that, the challenge is now closed, but you can always take part in future creative challenges. Once the challenge has finished, I will pick three winners at random from the comments who will receive the prize Joe has kindly donated of her book, The Successful Author Mindset. As always, I'm picking the winners at random. I won't be judging the comments because the challenge is not a competition. Over the weekend, I will send a bonus recording with my feedback on your comments and what we can all learn from the challenge. I'll also be sharing some thoughts on goal setting from my experience as a coach. Importantly, the feedback recording will not be released on iTunes or anywhere else the podcast feed is syndicated. It will only be available via the 21st Century Creative email list. So to join the list, go to 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash bonus and enter your email address in the box. Not only will you get the feedback recordings for every creative challenge, you'll also get the 21st Century Creative Foundation course, a free, in-depth course to help you succeed as a creative professional. Okay, that's it for this week's challenge. You'll also find these instructions at 21stCenturyCreative.fm slash 5. Have a great time contemplating your ambitions. I'm really looking forward to reading them. And stay tuned for another episode of the 21st Century Creative next Monday. <laughs>